Welcome back to the Career Series, everyone. Thank you so much for taking the time to catch up with Kessner. Today, we have an aspiring educator, an environmental science graduate from UC Davis, a big advocate for the Philam community, and a friend I met through Faith and Dance. So go ahead, if you're thinking about pursuing education, if you appreciate all your current or past teachers, or just love hearing stories about journeys of education, go ahead, subscribe to the channel, download this episode. We both really appreciate it. Mona, thanks so much for catching up with me today. Hi, yeah, it's, it's good to be here. I was going to introduce myself, and then you said Mona, so now I'm like, oh, I All good, no, that, that, that's perfect. So before we get into all that, the people that don't know who you are, Mona, quick introductions, who are you, what are you up to? We'll start off with that. Uh, my name is Mona, so hello everyone. Um, I have a lot of background in community work, and I also did a lot of work in nonprofit environmental education um, before going and pursuing a, a teaching credential in life sciences, biological sciences. Nice. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Awesome. That's a lot of good stuff for talking with a fellow educator, right? I know that you teach sixth grade and I teach seventh grade, so a lot of good conversations today. But we'll dial back the clock a little bit. So we'll put you at that point where after you graduated, thinking about where you want to move forward. I know that you talked a lot about pursuing different avenues. I know that you were part of an after school program. I know that you were coordinators for other things. So talk about what led you to become a sixth grade teacher. Oh, that's like, let me say, like, I don't, for those who aren't faith-based, I, mm. I totally understand. It's okay. But I, I am, so I am going to say that was a, that was a God-driven roller coaster. Um, so I went into, so just a little background, I went to UC Davis wanting to pursue a research, uh, like a research kind of opportunity, a job, just start, start, starting some sort of career in the idea right. of like the whole lab work, the idea of creating my own, like writing my own papers, becoming mm -hmm. a tenured professor. That was yeah. like my dream. Um and then as soon as I got there, it, it really wasn't about the curriculum. I love the curriculum. I love mm -hmm. the classes I took. It wasn't about the lab I worked, when, worked with. I loved my, uh, the lab I got into. Yeah. Um, Dr. Cotto, he works with actually California Air Resource Force. I'm going to shout him out. He's probably never going to see this, but go. I adore that you old never man. <laughs> you never know. I adore never him know. though. Um, but I really, when it came down to my senior year, I just didn't have the drive and I kind of realized that I just didn't have the passion for it it was just our lab was really small I was mm -hmm. the only person there I kept falling asleep as I was collecting data and <laughs> you know cleaning all the material and looking at data again yeah. and I just I couldn't see myself doing that um, over and over and over again mm -hmm. um, and some people can and some people are excited about the slow increments of progress that science is but I just Definitely. my personality I just couldn't see myself staying in that world. So that was funny though, because I think that was my senior year. So I graduated kind of in this, what now? Like mm -hmm. this whole time I was gearing myself up for like research, lab, gonna right. work for California Air Resource Board, gonna stay up in NorCal. Mm. Now I'm moving down and I have no plan for myself. I have no idea what to do with this new Bachelor of Science, <laughs> Environmental science and management degree emphasis yeah. in air quality what the heck am I going to do with this in SoCal so I kind of try to switch my gears to not exactly like lab work in terms of research but just like lab work mm 
yeah. like environmental compliance or um, just doing con- uh, environmental consultation. Mm-hmm. But I just, the doors weren't opening for me. I was probably applying for like half a year um, and I had, it was just a, like a really intense transition. And I think I hit post-grad depression, definitely wow. going through like very intense. Uh, it was manifesting like very aggressively too. Like I mm-hmm. wasn't like sad. I was like really aggressive during that time. Um, and bless my family for sticking with me, yeah. you know, and bless my friends for, you know, holding it down with me, even when I'm not like bubbly and happy all the mm-hmm. time. Um, but I just like remember feeling like a failure almost like I was wow. asking God because even you know me going to Davis was God driven I wanted to go to different schools but God was pointing this way to Davis and yeah. I feel like um, I just felt at the time like I didn't understand what was God's purpose for me I don't mm. understand where I'm supposed to go yeah, yeah. and all these doors are closing nothing's opening I even got past an interview phase they said they were taking me but it was a contract environmental compliance job and with those it's they try in like like six months like kind of right. contract and it's not always there mm-hmm. they got they were like oh you're a really good candidate and before they like officially accepted me the recruiter called me and said like the job doesn't exist anymore there's no wow. funding and i was just like where like where is my luck you know mm-hmm. funnily enough my brother is in the npr and he's like, oh, there's this, like, nonprofit. And I said, you should just check it out, see if they're hiring. And it happens to be um, this environmental nonprofit called Friends of the LA River. Okay. And um, I applied there. I also applied to another organization. Um, but I'm not going to name them because I might still work with them. <laughs> but uh, they, they're great. Um, it's just with the interview and the hiring process, it just wasn't working out. Whereas yeah. with Friends of the LA River, it did. And uh, my boss really liked me and she took me on as an intern. And a part of that internship was um, environmental education. So yeah. I would help her uh, with like, well, I mostly helped around the office, but mm-hmm. I also went on the field trips with her. So Friends of the LA River um, does like field trips with usually tier one schools, but they also have a like a, a weird way to say it. I think they changed the term now but pay to play where like yeah. you pay for the field trip as well mm-hmm. um, but basically I was going to the LA River which is 10 minutes from my house and I was getting to see like urban nature wow. um, in both it's like pre- uh, distinct beauty and I say that because it's not like Yellowstone you know yeah. but it's still the heart of LA that people don't really know about right. um, and I just fell in love with the idea of like being in nature and being with students and with that position I got to work with second graders to high schoolers because we just work with okay. different schools yeah yeah um again during this time I was still looking for a job but now I was like gearing towards okay maybe nonprofit is my style I kind of really like this idea of working with community and outreach it's definitely reminiscent of what I did in college um and then I kind of forgot exactly what happened I got hired as a contract educator mm-hmm. and so I was like oh this is really nice and I started tickling the idea of teaching started tickling my brain Hmm. it's something I thought about in college but I kind of always like nah nah like I'm not gonna teach like like I don't really see myself as a teacher you know but then it's like you know with this job it was tickling my brain um and so I started praying about it I was Hmm. like all right what am I supposed to do um and there was like a very specific event that happened and I always like (laughs) Like, when I hit very stressful events, I always feel like this need or this kind of, like, 
rift of change that pushes me to like do something. And so something happened that uh, in my personal life and it just made me just go like, you know what? Like I'm going to look into getting my master's or getting into a program. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just going to look into it. Like, yeah, let's do it. And so I just started like looking at the pros and cons of master's versus just getting my teaching credential out of the way. And I decided for me, I would just want to do my teaching credential and get it done. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just go back for my master's another time. Now I, I don't know if that was the right decision, but I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm here. So that's the decision that's made. Um, um, but yeah, I, then I just went into that road of like, um, not GRE, but what did you, you take the C best and then right. you take the CSET, but you take the C best first and then you do, and, uh, Cal State LA's program, that's the program I'm in, works in urban, uh, urban diversity and like all of that, you know, pedagogy and jazz. Right. <laughs> so I really read into it and I was like, oh, like this sounds like my jam. Like I really wow. liked it. So I didn't even, and it was close by, you know, like Cal State is really close. Not like super close. I wouldn't say it's like LA River close, but it's pretty <laughs> close enough. Right. Um. So it was like dope to like get into the program and um just be with a bunch of like other. The the really great thing I like about program is that it wasn't so with Davis. I sorry, I'm really running all over the place. But no. with Davis, I've never been in a place with so many. Sorry, I haven't no. been in a place with so many white people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. I'm from, you know, a part of LA that's, uh, I won't say the name, but it's a lot of Armenians and Hispanics and Filipinos, a little bit of Korean, but not right. a lot of white people. And so going yeah. to Davis was a big culture shock for me. Um, wow. Even just like the minority, uh, the minority, you know, uh, community of color right. um, makeup was a lot different than what I was used to. Yeah. And it was nice to kind of be in a, like a, uh, a post-grad I guess post-grad, it's like credential program, right. but a program that uh, in higher ed that is from people who have lived in similar neighborhoods like me or have nice. like very diverse experiences from right. LA and are seeking to teach from healing and transformative justice the way I am. And it was very rich for me to like, Definitely. like I think one of my classrooms, like we still have a group me and we still check in on each other, we have professors in it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So that's how I kind of got into like teaching itself. And then how I got into my position was also God driven because I applied and then I got scared. So I reached, I, I withdrew my application. Wow. I really needed a science teacher. So I was eating with a friend at the time and the principal called me and he said, Hey, I heard from HR that you withdrew your application. Why did you do that? And I said, Oh, I'm nervous. I'm still in my program. What? I don't know if I could be a teacher. And he's like, no, 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 just, just try it, go out, just try wow. it out. Just do a demo, come in, and yeah, the principal yeah. really liked me, and that's how I, now I'm here, the great science teacher, second semester, first full year. Wow. Long road, but I guess the point I wanted to make was it really wasn't in my plans at all, and it just mm-hmm. was a lot of, like, events that were kind of like, oh, bonus, here you right. go. <laughs> this is the way you're going. No, that's... That's awesome because there's a lot of things I like from your story when it comes to finding your place where you are now. I guess I'll backtrack a little bit to right? Mm-hmm. thinking of my interactions and my experiences and our relationship that we had in college. I always knew you as the most bubbliest, crazy person right on the dance team, but just in general in the spaces and the communities that you were a part of. And so I always knew that whatever you were going to pursue, it had to match your personality because you had a one 
of a kind personality. So just starting off with that. And I love how you talked about your, where your faith took you into this space of teaching or education and the road that it, that you went on, because I love how you mentioned that you thought you had an idea of what you want to pursue in environmental counseling or consulting. And that's kind of the image or the idea that you wanted for yourself post-grad. But what really comes to my mind is when we lean into our faith or when we lead into God's work, he closes one door, but he opens up a better one, right? And so we initially thought was good for us or what we really initially wanted. You know, sometimes it just doesn't align with what God has for us. And that's completely fine. It's how do we recognize it and how do we adjust to that? And how do we come into terms with giving up what we had was an idea for ourselves and ultimately the idea of what God had or what God had for us. And so that's what I think about when I hear your story of what you wanted with your degree. I know that must have been hard navigating postgraduate because I definitely was in a place like that too, right? Yeah. What do I want to do or what should I be doing with my degree in science, right? And mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people say there are very three distinct routes. It's research, it's teaching, or it's healthcare, right? Yeah. And those kind yeah. of the three major routes that you can take in. You know, similar to you, education really wasn't on my mind, but I was definitely pursuing research just like you were. And I definitely can resonate or relate to the degree of knowing myself, knowing my personality and knowing your personality, sitting in a lab, right? Probably wasn't the most tailored to who we were as as people. And so for myself, right, that was me. But also when I think about you, I love how through your navigation of trusting God and praying to God and him answering in your prayers at different points in your life, he slowly Mm -hmm. opened up a pathway for you to find this wonderful after-school program that you were able to kind of blend your interest in nature and environment, but also serving students and serving children. Because I Mm -hmm. think that's a huge part of, you know, your your personality as well. You love serving other people and you love being there for other people. And that just really matches how you are in what you're doing currently and that's being a teacher so i just love how you said that and this idea of not knowing the navigation of where you want to go but also the idea of postgraduate depression or postgraduate anxiety or this this phase that we go through coming out of college of where am i worthy who is going to see that i'm worthy and what mm-hmm. is what is really meant for me in that way and so you know, yeah. not that I, I'm, I'm obviously not glad that you had to go through that space, right? But yeah. it's such a, such a key or very raw place to be in after postgraduate, especially when you have a faith, because in those moments of uncertainty, you really have to lean on mm-hmm. something that you resonate with. And for you, maybe that was God. For me, that was God. And yeah. for other people, it's other things. And that's, yeah. that's where it should be. But, you know, it's very, it's reassuring to hear that you've navigated that that journey in a way that really put you in a position even though you had a lot of doubts for yourself like when you were talking about do i pursue a master's or do i pursue pursue a your credential program but you know obviously things are the way that they're supposed to be and it sounds like you're happy which is a great spot or a great place to be in so i just love that story that you had for for where you are now yeah thank you um something that I just want to point this out, but uh, for those who might be in post-grad or Mm -hmm. who are, like, going through a phase, um, that 
post-grad depression or whatever mental health instability I was going through, mm-hmm. I remember distinctly my aggression really peaking and my me and my mom were just fighting the whole time. Mm. Um, and I remember in the car, and we're really close, but we're also one of those people that like fight and love yeah. at the same time. It's kind of like my family, but I was in the car you know, we had to stop the car because me and my mom got a really bad argument. We just had to stop because I couldn't drive. Wow. And I remember my mom just like, she never does this. She really shows her emotion, but she just started like kind of crumbling. And she asked me, she asked me like, why do you hate me so much? Wow. And then I like stopped and I just started like breaking down. And I said, I remember distinctly, like it just came out. And I said, I'm going to start crying. But I remember I said, I don't hate you. I hate myself is what I said to that response. Wow. And we just had, like, this conversation of how I've been feeling. Um, I had uh, also something that happened around that time is I had exited a really intense, very short relationship kind mm-hmm. of thing, but it was very uh, traumatic and toxic. Yeah. And so I'd left that. Um, I kind of sometimes think that what I had built in college, half of it came down after mm-hmm. that. And so I was back in this state of, like, I was seeking validation other places. And mm-hmm. so because I was not fulfilling my parents' dream of after going to a UC, I don't have a job right away. Mm-hmm. And they're asking me, are you applying? Are you applying? And I'm not coming up with anything. I just started yeah. looking at myself very differently. Like, like what the, like, why can't I get a job? You know, like, right. why can't I show my parents that the love and effort and time and stress they put into me and the trust they put into me, I can't make anything. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, and I think that was a really, like, big moment for me. Like, I I think of the story of, when I think of my life, I think of two stories. I think of the story of Jacob, because there's a verse in the Bible where Jacob says, I'd rather wrestle with you, like, to the mm-hmm. angel of God, than, yeah. than let you go. And that's what I think of with me and God. Um, I'd rather wrestle with him. I'd rather, um, you know, fight with him or, like, have a spiritual argument about what am I mm-hmm. supposed to do next? What am I supposed to give up? than to give him up in my life. So that's one thing I think of. And then I think of uh, Job. So when Mm -hmm. Job gets things taken from him, because uh, him and God are trying to see, you know, is Job really faithful? Yeah. And I think of those moments, like when I, you know, for whatever reason in life, you know, something gets closed, something I really cherish. um, I have to think of the time, like I have to be in my faith and ask God, like, is this you? Is this human action? Like, right. please show me the way. You're the only person that I can really fully, like, let myself be with. Mm-hmm. So please help me to, like, heal or do whatever I need to do. So right. those are the two stories I think of when I go through, not just, like, post-grad depression, but also, like, my usual anxiety yeah. and, like, the other things I deal with in my mental health. I, yeah, those are two stories I think of that help me to, like, not get back up I want to say because I don't like this idea of like you have to like get out of it not that you have to but this Mm -hmm. idea of like people are pushing you past your comfort zone to just deal with it and that's not healthy Mm -hmm. um but this idea of like there's reasons why like you are on this earth and there are beautiful reasons and if you are gone yeah or if you hate yourself or you feel believe that you don't deserve to be here you're you're gonna miss out on so many beautiful wonderful things you could have mm-hmm. you miss out on the opportunities you'll have connecting with others and i i think about that a lot when i go into those dark spaces yeah 
that took a really interesting turn. <laughs> no, that was that's awesome because I want to touch upon two things from that. And the first one mm-hmm. was this taboo idea of talking about mental health or mm. mental emotional anxiety that you receive after maybe post-graduation or that trip yeah. that you have from college to whatever you're doing next. And, you know, definitely family has a big part of that, right? I yeah. think being part of different families or maybe the Phil Am community in general, right? It's maybe taboo mm. to talk about your anxiety or your depression or your mental illness yeah. might arise from situations like this. And it's really important that you put that out there because it's a conversation that we need to learn to have with our parents, no matter of what culture that we come from or background yeah. that we're part of. It's what was once taboo should become the norm. And I think normalizing yeah. the conversation of this is how I'm feeling and this is how it's affecting my emotional psychological state and being very open with our parents about that is super important i know that we all have our own history and we all have our own trauma and experiences when it comes to having those types of conversations with our parents but at the same time once we get older we start to recognize and understand the shortcomings that can have of not having those type of conversations with our parents Mm, right and especially in a time like this where we need to nudge the older generation or we need to nudge the generations around us so that we can continue to formulate this, this united front of what do we, where do we want to take mental illness issues and where do we want to take the next step of making sure that the next generation is comfortable talking about these once taboo ideas. Right. So I think it really does start with people of our age or people within their twenties to thirties saying, you know, this is a real thing that we're going through. There's research behind it it's proven and it's something that needs to be recognized and talk about to the point where it's not so much of a discomfort and more of a comfort to talk about, right? Because we come from this place of maybe if I'm talking about my illness or my mental anxiety or whatever, I'm, it's shameful or it's, it's putting me at a disadvantage. Right. But in a sense, right. We need to shift that conversation. So it's allowing us to feel comforted in where we are and how we can grow from that as opposed to backtracking and making ourselves feel worse, if that makes sense. So I love how you mm-hmm. said that. And, you know, that's such a powerful story where you had that moment with your mom of, you know, it's not you, it's me. And I think that's really powerful, powerful moving forward. And like you said, the, the story of Job and just this idea of what are you going to do in a crisis or in a crisis of where everything's stripped away from you, where everything is being taken? Who are you going mm-hmm. to lean to? Are you going to trust in God's work if that's what you believe in? Are you going to trust in the bigger picture or mm. right the, yeah. the beautiful things that may come out of your situation or are you going to fall back and distance yourself, right? And I think that's a very important question that we need to ask ourselves, especially in a time where there's so much uncertainty, there's so much backlash in different areas and so many ways for that we can improve. Are we going to confide in our own feelings and just focus on how we're feeling or are we going to reach out and extend Mm -hmm. to different support systems to different acts of faith right and Mm -hmm. where are we going to position ourselves so that we can move forward and ultimately affect the communities that we want to affect because our well-being and our spiritual faith and all those different things play a huge fact or a play huge factor in the small spaces that we're part of in our homes at work Mm -hmm. with our friends right I know that we're not in all these spaces at once anymore because of the pandemic, but once we start to acclimate to what to where we are now, we're going to start pushing ourselves or you know coming back to these 
these environments and these communities that we were once a part of and how are we going to rise to the occasion? How are we going to come out of all of this better as better people and more acknowledging of different situations? So I just love those two points that, that you pointed out during your, your story. It's awesome. So thinking about that and, you know, learning more about your story and where you've, how far you've come, I know that you've always been a big advocate for the communities that you were a part of, right? Even in the Phil Am communities at Davis or the Philippine X spaces that you were a part of in Davis. And I know that you're fairly active on social media when it comes to sharing resources and information, not just for the Phil Am community, but also for supporting the Black Lives Movement, for example. So mm. talk about what pushes you to be an advocate for the spaces that you're a part of. Oh, this like goes deep. I think it's a like value. Mm. And I do a lot, like me and my friends, and like they're, they're all in different spaces. If you remember Ariana, right. she, <laughs> she does like, you know, uh, coaching, life coaching, right. and also she's yeah. uh, doing her own journey. She's getting actually her master's in ed. Wow. as well but she's not gonna be a teacher she's gonna do something else i think with it and i have another friend who wants to be a counselor and we talk yeah. a lot about like values community um I but i realized that one of my the, the three big values i have or that i've centered around these days is knowledge empathy there you go. something else it's knowledge empathy i'm forgetting the third one knowledge empathy i think it was community Knowledge, mm -hmm. empathy, and community. Perfect. And something I also, that kind of extends into it, is the idea of accountability. Yep. And something I've realized about loving people and mm -hmm. loving communities is it's not just, and it's kind of like having a relationship, and I yep. think it really centers in my relationship with God as well, but just like love isn't just like the happy parts of it it yes. isn't just you know yes. like so words like black lives or yeah. black livelihoods and people it's not just yeah. you know exploiting their you know their joy and mm. their culture you know right. it's also recognizing how even we as individuals or our communities or our families you know have caused harm and it's mm -hmm. when you are i think a lot i honestly think the world would be better if we realize how how accountable we have to be in like everything That's um even as like going back to teaching like accountable for even our own harm against these vulnerable tiny humans <laughs> tiny humans what my colleague calls them um like i think of the idea that if someone is harmed then just so the idea of justice or the idea of righting a wrong and the yeah. idea of healing yeah. those are really important but you can't have any of those if the people who have caused harm aren't accountable yeah. and so i see myself you know in this position of like i'm second generation i'm asian american right um i probably i say probably because my mom's kind of sneaky <laughs> <with her income. laughs> she's one of those people but i i think i probably come from like a middle class family lower middle class if anything yeah. like i have a certain position in society and i really yeah. um saw this when i took an asian american studies course with uh professor robin rodriguez who is at davis as well um great professor if you ever get the chance to learn and hear from her or read her resources but there was a reading from i think the author is claire j kim about the tri her triangulation theory and it was about where you know white americans where black americans where asian americans kind of stand in this like mm. x y axis of um 
what's it called? Like social class, but also Americanization. Wow. And I think we as Asian, most Asian Americans, I won't say all because the diaspora is so big yeah. or diaspora. I always get corrected on that. Diaspora is so big, you know, Filipinos and other Southeast Asian yeah. uh, families may not relate. But the idea that, you know, some Asian American families are higher up in yes. privilege in terms yeah. of financial and where, you know, in terms of, you know, phobia, yeah, we don't, Black Americans may not get the exoticization as much. Unless you're an immigrant and then it gets just gets messy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's, it's, it's complicated because there's so right. many different backgrounds. But what I'm trying to basically say is like, I hold a certain position in life and my privilege may mask the trauma that I cause or I may benefit from mm-hmm. for other communities. And a part of, you know, transformative justice or healing, especially if I'm going to teach black and brown students in LA, yeah. is the idea that I have to check my privileges and also understand what, um, like how these things affect my students and also yeah. my friends and family, also just people I don't know. If I say yes. like I'm a Christian and I love the people, if I love God's people and everyone is God's people, yeah. am I really loving them if I don't speak out about certain things? Mm. Will yeah. I like... Jesus really worked with the people. He worked yeah. through his actions. He showed, and I, I think a lot of the time we say things and it's fluff, you know, and I don't think we think about not just our actions of how they're good, but also how our actions really affect people, how we can participate in microaggressions, but also how we are also harmed. Yeah. And I think when we are able to both call into people to space, but also, and be accountable I think that is when we truly begin to understand what like practicing allyship is because you're never going to get it perfect. And so I'm trying to remember the question you asked, but in terms of where does this come from? It's just, it's just like, it's not like it's the right thing to do, but if Mm -hmm. I am a human being that loves other human beings, like how could I not share? How could I not be, that goes into my value of knowledge. How could I not bring perspectives of other people, you know? into my yeah. life or into other people's lives and share that this is happening to them, that this is real, you know? Mm-hmm. I think of that post I posted of, um, I, I honestly don't remember if it's Daniela or Daniela from Vimo and how she, she like basically quit the dance community <laughs> because she does not feel safe. She does yeah. not feel like people have her back. And there's, yeah. it's sad because there's, she even said she, she loves dancing with people, but she yes. just, she won't support a community that won't support her. And I think mm. that's really like people need to recognize that like black lives, brown lives, indigenous lives, you know, they're lives, they're people with fears yeah. and traumas and are affected at a system we have, may have no idea about. And if yeah. we're going to call ourselves allies, if we're going to say we're with you, we got to, you know, step up. We got to be accountable for in and outside. Yeah. So, yeah. That's good. Because even ever since day one of meeting you, right, just being a part of these spaces that I was in with you in back in college, we're dialing it back, right? You're always a big advocate yeah. for those three things that you talked about, right? Knowledge, community, and accountability, right? And when yeah. we transition into this conversation of what, what we're going through now with racial inequality, right? Accountability yeah. is such a huge word that maybe might be underestimated in a sense because in order to be accountable, you have to understand your downfalls. You have to understand your shortcomings and you have to understand your privilege. And in order to heal, like you said, you use the word healing a lot, use the word trauma a lot in order to address this trauma environment that that 
a lot of black lives are in or brown lives are in, you have to understand this idea of where are you accountable in all of that? Maybe mm-hmm. it's not direct, right? In other spaces, yeah. right, microaggressions and in, in those conversations, it is direct. But in other spaces, where have you been indirectly part of the problem? And I think that's yeah. something that's really important to recognize. And, you know, for a lot of us, it does take time processing. And for others, yeah. it's really immediate for where you did wrong or what spaces or what decisions you made to, to be a part of the communities that you're in for other people, for black lives or brown lives, right? Indigenous lives to feel like they are unsafe in their own spaces, right? Yeah. So it's very important that you understand this idea that we're all accountable because I loved how you touch upon it. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to call ourselves a people of faith or just, you know, loving people in general, whether you have a faith or not, how could you not, right? How could you not go out into the world and saying, I've done this harm or my community has done this harm. How can I do better? Right. And that's such a huge part because as Christians, it's one thing to love, right. But it's not always happy, right. It's not always, you know, rainbows and, sprinkles right it's when you get into the nitty-gritty of jesus's raw love right he he was honest and he was so pure in his intentions but it was really hard for people to understand that and i think that when we're coming in a space that we are now we need to hear the hard conversations we need to know where we're doing wrong and accept those if we definitely want to progress or get better and so for a lot of us we take it personally but at the same time we Mm -hmm. have to understand well, we're not the only ones in this world. We're not the only yes. ones going through life yes. along with it. A lot of us have been at, a lot of different communities have been at a disadvantage for a majority yeah. of their lives and they're still being in that because of the systems that we're in. And so how do we start yeah. to dismantle that? Well, also knowing this idea of love and forgiveness for one another that, yeah, yeah we may forgive one another and that doesn't always mean that you turned a blind mm-hmm. eye but that also means mm-hmm. forgiving is acknowledging where we were a part of what we were a part mm-hmm. of how we did that and how am i going to be better and i think that's a huge mm-hmm. part of this conversation of christians and forgiveness right but you know that's another conversation but just tying it back to to you i think i love that idea of being an advocate for accountability accountability of being rooted in knowledge because if you don't know yeah. your communities, if you don't know your own identity, if you don't know the research behind all these different things, how are you going to provide a space for people to heal from their trauma without offering yeah. them or meeting where they are at, right? So I think mm-hmm. knowledge is a huge part of that. And like you said, everything comes down to relationships, right? Our relationship yeah. with God, our relationship with our family, our relationship yeah. with strangers and the people that are a part of our lives or not a part of our lives. How are we contributing to those different types of relationships? Because every relationship mm-hmm. is different. And I think it's yeah. one thing that we should always recognize is that our relationships are the purity or they are the essence of how we continue to move, move forward as a society, right? If we don't have good relationships with one another, obviously we're just going to, we're, we're at a stalemate all the time. But mm-hmm. if we consistently think about how am I going to grow my relationship with one another? How am I going to, provide a space where if I am privileged in whatever X, Y, and Z, how am I going to understand that privilege and not contribute to this conversation of I'm better, the system plays me better, you know, knowing that we all need to be part of this same equity in a sense of the different opportunities that we have and the way that we're uplifting and dismantling different 
different institutions, but how mm. are we going to do that with a strong relationship with one another? All of it comes down to the yeah. people that we're next to, the people that we work with, the people that we call our friends or our family. If we call them friends or family, it all comes down to what type of relationship are you willing to sacrifice to preserve that relationship? So I think that's really important. And I just love how you're always, you've always been consistently trying to do that, Mona. And that's something that I really appreciate that you're doing, not just for the spaces that you're in now, but for the students that you're, that you're lifting up. So that's just, it's awesome. Yeah. So I guess to add on to that, right. I love picking your brain about, you know, being a new teacher. I think I was, I was once in your spot not too long ago, just a, a couple years ago, but you work with sixth graders. I work with seventh graders. They're similar enough, but also dissimilar in a sense. So I want to hear <laughs> I from you. I get what you mean, though. I get you what you mean. I mean. There's like, something that happens between the two. Like, yep. seventh and eighth are kind of like, okay, but like sixth and seventh, they're like kind of different. But yeah. yeah, I get you. I get you. Definitely. <laughs> I think it's not something that I really recognized at, when I was younger, not even just in middle school and high school and college. Yeah. It's when you're, when you're a teacher, it's a whole different level. But so mm-hmm. what does it mean for you to be able to nurture the minds of your sixth graders and kind of the challenges that come along with that? Yeah. So ooh, that's like a good nurture. I, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm still, so I'm in this interesting spot where I'm, I'm doing like an internship credential kind of right. thing where I'm like, I'm technically working as I'm getting my credential. So it puts me in a very interesting spot where like I can practice and critique my pedagogy as I'm driving. The t- so I think a yeah. lot of the like building the train while I drive it. Yes, kind of yes. Um, <laughs> but I, I think about this idea of nurture and I, 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 I don't recognize that my students are still children though. Um, I also recognize that they're individuals yeah. and I don't want to cheat them from the idea that just because they're young, they need to be like nested if that makes sense yeah so I just want to shift my thought process to building community with them so that's I think what I would describe nurture um I forgot the original question so I don't want to go on a train thought can you remind me what your original main yeah no how do you I'm going to (laughs) (laughs) that's that's one of the best parts of this though but how do you what does it mean for you to to nurture the minds Mm. of your sixth graders yeah. So okay, I was on the right track. I just yeah, you were. You were for a bit. <laughs> so uh, uh, building community is really important. Making in our school, we're practicing a new like terms of like steps, but this idea of like feeling safe. No, really, I think I forgot if belonging or safety comes first. I think belonging mm-hmm. comes first. Feeling belong, yeah. then feeling safe. Yeah. Then feeling uh, like going up the steps to this idea that you are able to learn and to build community Ableism, in a yeah. learning environment. Yeah. yeah. And so that's kind of what I want in my classroom. I'm a human being, very human being. Sure, I'm, I think um, Emden uh, does, uh, Christopher Emden does, I think it's, it's Christian or Christopher Emden, but he's a black man, a uh, science educator. He does TED Talks and stuff. He has a great book. Um, but he talks about the idea of being a master of content in one of mm. his uh, TED Talks. But we are masters of, like, yeah, we're teachers, but technically we're just like, we should be thinking of it as like, we're gods of God, we're guides of content, and they are the masters of their own learning. They know mm-hmm. how to learn on their own. Right. We can guide them, we can give them scaffolds and modeling and all that. But in the end, you know, just like we, you know, we decide which what works best for us. 
they're going to decide what works best for them. And we have right. to observe that and communicate with them with that, give them the space to be safe enough to say, hey, I want you as my teacher to be accountable for my learning. Yes. This isn't working for me. And so I want to create that kind of space where I'm not like, I think teachers need to realize think about accountability, how much power we have. Definitely, Something I definitely. think we really need to think about. Our actions and our words hold so much power in our for our over our students' lives. Like mm-hmm. one little like snap or like remark can change their entire day. Sometimes yes. like a couple days with us. Yeah. Um and I think when we build community, it's important that we have to check ourselves at the door. Are yeah. we taking care of ourselves enough? that we don't become you know in this when we're in the state where we lose control do we say Mm -hmm. do we try and grasp for control more over our students or do we even question why do i need to be in control Mm. not like not like let's let the chaos happen right (laughs) right right i like that and sometimes (laughs) it's just they just beautifully orchestrate chaos somehow i am not at that level yet at all so (sighs) those teachers who can do that are like chef kiss magical but I guess that's what I'm trying to say is like nurturing students, nurturing a human being, it's like, it's connection. It's, yes. I can't, no one's going to want to learn from someone they don't like, you know, or not yeah. that they don't like, but they can't like really connect talk with to. I had, yeah. 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 This is actually something we talked about in a meeting recently. <laughs> uh, students won't really want to open up or do those like type like activities unless they get to know us and who yeah. we are. Yeah. So in my classroom, I try and do like little drawing times or I like dance with my plants or I like (laughs) sing a ukulele song. I just try to put moments that like, or I just tell them like, hey, you didn't do your work? That's cool. I didn't do my work for school either. So we're Mm. on the same boat. We still got to be accountable. And they're like, oh, like this isn't like a perfect human being. Like, yeah. This was a moment of like raw human moment. Yeah. Yeah. That really, a really important at least for me in my classroom. It all comes down to this idea of relationships, right? Because Mm. if you're not forming this relationship with your students, if you're not forming this relationship with your coworkers or your family members, then your connection is going to be off, right? And that's pretty intuitive. But then into the deeper side of that, right? If we cannot see each other's imperfections, if we can't Mm. see each other's right shortcomings and be loving and accepting of those then Mm -hmm. there's this facade of putting up for our students that we always need to be perfect or that we always need to have things together or we always need to be control when in reality right if you have a background of faith you're never in control in a sense of this bigger picture right there's always something that's going to be shifting or changing in your life where you need to surrender that idea of control right but even Mm -hmm. if you're not of faith Right. We're never always in control. Learning to yeah. be in the back seat or in the in the passenger seat of this thing called life, right? I think it's yeah. really important to acknowledge that without acknowledging relationships, without understanding this deeper sense of connection, without understanding this this reassurance or this comfort in your your shortcomings or in your downfalls or in your right, yeah. in your insecurities then all of those Mm -hmm. are connected in a way of how you're going to play in your character for other people, right? Because if Mm -hmm. you're really confident in your insecurities and you allow that to feed into where you want to grow in the growth areas you are, then you're going to start building connections with the people 
that will help mm. you get there. And by yeah. building in those connections, you're forming a relationship. And that ties exactly yeah. back to students, right? Showing them to understand it's okay not to know everything. It's okay not to mm-hmm. have everything figured out. It's okay to be a part of trauma and in these different spaces. But yeah. understanding that in- those insecurities, understanding those problems or those issues are a part of who we are, right? Whether we mm-hmm. like it or not. But how are we going to use that as a way that feeds into empowerment, that feeds into mm-hmm. a way of inspiration, not just for us, but mm-hmm. for maybe our friends or peers or your fellow classmates, right? Mm-hmm. Being, you know, finding a process, finding a support system, whether it's teachers, administration, family members that are going to help you heal from those issues, but also how are we going to use this as a way to make us stronger, right? As cliche yeah. as it sounds, right? Finding our strength and our weaknesses. But it's very true, and especially for our students, when trying to build connections, when trying to build relationships, it really comes down to not just knowing who they are, what favorite color or what favorite food that they like, but who are they in their lives outside of a student, right? I feel like a lot of us get mm-hmm. caught up in this idea that I need to know everything about my student. You don't need to know everything about your student. You just need to know the things that they want to talk about hours and hours and hours about. Because kids don't, mm-hmm. you know, maybe some kids don't want to talk about their favorite food, their favorite pet for hours on hours on end. But mm-hmm. once you start opening up to them, maybe they want to talk about what is it like to live at home? What is it like to go into these different spaces where they feel safe going to the park or right? Things that make yeah. them who they are outside of school. And that's, yeah. that's where this driven connection comes with. And it really comes yeah. down to also, it doesn't matter if you're a teacher or not, right? How are you going to understand the people that you're constantly with, in a sense, outside of your circle that you have with them, right? Maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it's your mm-hmm. boss. Maybe it's mm-hmm. your family members, right? You know them on the surface level, but in order to really heal from the traumas that we're a part of in order to build this idea of relationships in order to mm-hmm. become better people we need to understand the people that we're with on a deeper level and that means understanding them in a context outside of what you're already used to and mm-hmm. a lot of that has to do with you know understanding who you are so that you can have those types of conversations with people so that's really important for, mm-hmm. for you to talk about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mona, a lot of good things today. I love how we transition from your your faith when it comes to leaning into God post-graduation, when it came to leaning into the different spaces of who you were and complementing mm-hmm. that into your lifestyle as a rising educator, as also a student, mm-hmm. but also just a person that's part of so many different communities and will always be. So I'm going to put you in a situation and I just want you to respond with a simple statement. Sounds good? Okay. Okay. All right. So you have the chance to time travel 10 years from now, all right, at some random time in the future to see your future self. You get to a point where you see your future self. What do you hope to see in your life and why? Wait, if I, hold on. I got confused at the direction of time I'm traveling. Am I traveling backward or forward? You're traveling forward 10 years down okay. the future. Yes. Sorry. I don't know why forward. I thought of backward. No, no, I think no. that was a me. That was a me. That was a me. <laughs> but um, forward, thirty. So I, uh, I said, I was sorry. My mind is still thinking backwards. Twenty twenty three, going to thirty three. So ten years from now, I, I hope to see myself in a place of balance. Mm, that's good. 
Yeah. I don't know. Did you want more? Did you want you can you can elaborate. Thing? Yeah. What what, what, um, what what does balance look like to you? Man, I think you. See, the thing is, I don't know if I'm ever gonna have balance. <laughs> but the, I think the thing that's always been in my life is this idea of constant change or constant mm-hmm. movement. Right. And I'm I'm a lot better about it. Or, but people may, maybe people in my close life will argue not really. <laughs> but I feel like I've gotten a lot better about it. I feel yeah. like I've, you know, been more healthy in terms of my work-life balance. But I, I, I wish to achieve balance, you know. I wish to kind of, not that I'm never going to stop learning about how to be a teacher. But mm-hmm. I just hope I, like, maybe this first year is so hard. But, like, <laughs> just, like, get to a place where, like, I'm not, com- I don't want to say comfortable. But I have confidence, more confidence as a teacher enough yeah. to have like a foundation for my pedagogy, but something that is flexible and always willing to change for like my students. Mm-hmm. And I think what I mean by balances in my life that I hope that I find the things that I'm looking for, like in terms of like relationships, in terms of like my own stability, in terms of where I want to be for my communities, right. in terms of the time I make for myself to be growing as a human being, I yeah. hope I find that balance by 33. That's what I'm hoping for. This idea of balance, right? I think it's very common for a lot of 20 to 30-year-olds to, to understand or come to understand this idea. What does balance mean in our lives? And maybe that means balance in your workplace. Maybe that means balance in your health and your, your eating habits. Maybe that's balance in your familial relationships of, being able to connect with one another, whether we have right trauma or not. This idea of balance is so important because we always want to be grounded in something. We always want to have confidence in something. And so it's very important that we want to recognize that balance should be part of the end goal. It should be part of something that becomes normal in our life, especially in a crazy society that we live in today. So definitely something that we're all hoping for definitely something that I hope for myself in the future to 10 years down the line is this idea of balance in who I am, balance in my confidence as whatever direction God takes me in. But I think for everyone else, just finding this balance in who you are. So that's just, that's a, that's a good theme to take away from this. Mona, thank you so much for taking the time today out of your crazy teacher schedule. I always appreciate the talks like these and all of the knowledge that I absorb from it. And it's really nice catching up. So thank you so much, Mona. Thank you. It's so fun catching up. Yeah. It's, it's a great time. Here for it. <laughs> for everyone else. Thank you so much for tuning in. Like I said, support the channel, download this episode. Both really appreciate that until the next time, Mona, I'll see you. Bye. Bye.